Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, sit back, relax as Mr. Intro says. Happy New Year, happy holidays, hello to you all. Hopefully everybody enjoyed our little special, Mark, our little holiday special, a Christmas special. We had an additional little um, episode over the New Year. So it's episode 276, Thursday, January the 5th, 2023. Hello, Mark. How are you, Brendan? 2023, it's so many numbers and years, I don't even know. I never thought we'd get here. And I was there yesterday, so did the usual, sign in a vaccination um, certificate <laughs> and put the wrong year on it, as you do for the first six months or so, don't you? So, yes, 2023. But the beauty is, Mark, um, you just change the two into a three. It's quite easy. You just put a little tail on it and away you go. So that's my tip for the week, Mark, my tip for the week. And oh, gee, we had a couple of technical issues because I think – we need to jump straight in, Mark. Oh, before we do jump straight in, <laughs> for all our new listeners, vetgurus.com, go there, say hello, become a subscriber, um, poke around our little website there, send us an email, vetgurus at gmail.com. Have a think about purchasing some fantastic VetGurus merchandise. What more could you want for 2023 than a VetGurus bucket hat, Mark? Probably a Vet Guru's phone um, cover and also some Vet Guru's socks and a hoodie as well to complete the set. So head over to Etsy, E T S Y, and just search for Vet Guru's. It's all one word. And the beauty of going to the Vet Guru's shop is if you end up purchasing something, you not only get a distinctively branded item mark, but you help support us a little bit with our costs for our podcast that would be fantastic if you could do that and we do get a lot of people going to the vet guru's shop mark and they just window shopping stop it buy something Uh, make us feel good make yourself feel good and get some value um, from all 276 podcasts and just think it's a small price to pay for a little bit of continuing education. And, and Brendan, also- the, the quality of uh, stuff in the Etsy store, I've been continually surprised how, how good that stuff is. The the um the bucket hat, um the the t shirts that you've you've even got a cooking apron, I think. Actually that's that's very good that little apron there yeah it is yeah. I make such a mess when I'm trying to cook it. I think um yeah so it's excellent. So Phenomenal. That's the word, Mark, for the quality of the Vet Guru's gear. So please think about supporting us by purchasing something only a couple of dollars or so of each item. And yes, you might think the items are a bit of a premium price. It's just that we only get like 2% or something <laughs> crazy by the time we pay the Etsy fees and the fees for the print on demand service. But um, it's, you know, you're promoting the Vet Guru's as well. So think about it. Go there, do it, do it now. Do it pause, now. The po- pause the podcast and go there now. Now, Mark, as I mentioned, we were having a couple of little technical issues, but I think we've got it sorted, and I think that's going to be your review this week. What are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about 
Elon. We're going to talk about Elon's Starlink, Brendan, because I've, I've you, as you well know, I've had numerous in the travels I've had. I've had numerous frustrations at uh, staying in touch, in going into remote places, and making sure that I could be ready for the podcast. Skynet. <laughs> um, so we did. We. Uh, uh, got onto the website and placed an order. We got our uh, our little rectangular autonomous satellite. Uh, so just just seat. back up one step, Mark. So yeah. we're, what? So we're talking about here an, an internet service that's via satellite, promoted and, and owned by um, Elon Musk from tes- Tesla fame of Tesla fame of Twitter fame. So. What do you do? You pay mega bucks to him, or not that much actually for the hardware, and then what? There's a monthly a monthly exactly. fee for the for the satellite, and it's not inexpensive. I've got to say that we've got the the there's I think there's four different types of satellite receivers you can get, and we got the they're, they're obviously getting rid of one model because um they had those on special, so we grabbed one of those. Um, it was four hundred and fifty odd Australian dollars. And then for the – there's an RV contract. So the problem with the routine Starlink is that you have to be in one place. So it's great for people who live in remote communities and it's a little bit less expensive and it allows Starlink to, you know, know how many people are going to be on their satellite. But obviously people who are mobile cost a little bit more and so – it is expensive. I think it's about 170 a month, but um, yes. essentially the there's a no. You, we haven't reached any um, limit to the downloads. There's not probably not enough people on the satellite yet, and yeah, it's been pretty good so far. Though, as we suggested in our pre uh, pre podcast meeting, we had a couple of glitch. And we're back. Well, Mark, you were just <laughs> halfway through your review of Starlink from Elon Musk's um, stable of products, and we got kicked out. So, uh, yeah, do you want to complete your review <laughs> before we get lost again? I do, I do. Um, and, look, I've got to say that um, since we've had it now for nearly two weeks and um, it has been an outstanding uh, a way for us to connect to the internet and it's allowed me to do a whole bunch of things that um, at a speed that I couldn't do before notwithstanding the fact um, that uh, that it, it hasn't necessarily let me um, complete this particular podcast as efficiently as I'd hoped um, but um, but yeah I, at this stage uh, I, I would even say to you Brendan I think I was saying as we were reconnecting that um, I wouldn't rule out, because it's also plug and play, um, I, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that I have plugged it in someone, you know, some wrong way or there's some tweak I can do for uh, the podcast. So, Well, wait. we will see. I mean, you're loud and clear at the minute and we'll keep <laughs> our, all our fingers and toes crossed and uh, we'll um, well reserve your Judgment. Score, score out of 10 um, for perhaps ne- next result. week or so. Yep. Yes. Excellent. All right. So we don't have any email because everybody's fallen asleep over the Christmas New Year period. So send an email to us, vetgurus at gmail.com. Say hello. Tell us what you're up to, what 
amazing animals you have been seeing in your practice, Mark. I think we'll jump into a quick couple of news stories. Mine's a feel-good one, Mark, a um, feel-good news story. And a veterinary receptionist at a veterinary practice in the United Kingdom, Mark, has just celebrated more than 70 years at, at the practice. Muriel joined Pennard Vets in the 1950 when she was age 16, Mark, and she's just celebrated her 70th year working for the Pennard Vet team. And she did retire, Mark, in 2020. Unfortunately, it was during lockdown, um, <laughs> during COVID, after the 70 years, so they didn't have a proper celebration for her. So, But she had a bit of a chat in the article, which we'll have a link to at our website, uh, at the Royal College of Veterinary Scientists website. And she talked about some of her um, memory, memories and her memorable moments. And um, when she first started as a receptionist there, um, they started caring for, you know, mixed practice um, and local farms. And one of her highlights, Mark, she, you'll love this, was fielding telephone calls from Sir Winston Churchill, the former <laughs> Prime Minister of England, so um, who lived at a country house not far from the practice she worked at and employed the practice to look after the health of his black swans, Mark, living on the estate of Winston Churchill. So good old Muriel, 70 years working in the same vet practice, Mark. She's... um, I wouldn't want to be her long service sleep, Brendan. (laughs) Yeah, she deserves more than a medal for that working. And and she said uh, other important things. She said it's the, the amazing... Technological advances um, since she started. Computers, Mark, computers, <laughs> digitalization, and she doesn't have to decipher the handwritten notes of the vets um, when she used to do the double entry bookkeeping for the practice um, in the 1950s. So, pretty amazing there, Mark. Good on your mural. Well done. Yeah. And perhaps I'll celebrate an actual face to face celebration of your 70 years soon. What have you got, Mark? Um, my one is, um, it's a feel-good one too, Brendan. It's um, the case of um, uh, some millipedes down around the south coast of New South Wales in the Illawarra. Um, it's become quite the, we've spoken about it a number of times on the podcast, and I've gotten myself an ultraviolet light to shine around the place. Um there, there are a number of species, uh, particularly scorpions, that um, on a very dark night loom, are luminescent once irradiated with ultraviolet light. But Scott Kemp down on the south coast of New South Wales um, spotted some millipedes um, quite a long time ago, 18 years ago, that he saw were glowing in the dark when they were... Um, uh, um, when he was bushwalking, um, and unusual for these ones, they were um, they, they were bioluminescent. They were shining on their own. He didn't take much notice of it. Um, he was actually looking for scorpions at the time, but he did later on um, mention to one of his uh, uh, one of the people that he knows that was at the museum, I believe. Um, he mentioned that. Um, 
that there was, uh, that he had seen this, and it had never been recorded. None of the scientists um, that he had sent anything to had ever heard anything like it. Um, and he fortunately had a couple of, um, of uh, um, photographs, and, um, and what seemed to happen when he was walking along, the uh, millipedes would glow um, if they were trodden on. So it looks like it's sort of some sort of defensive thing. Um, but um, it's the first time it's ever been recorded. Um, and um, and it, I love it, Brendan, because it's a classic example of the fact that um, that there are things out there still to be discovered, quite significant things. So I think an advantage of being a petrol head, Mark, <laughs> Because he mentioned that he modified cars and he liked neon lights um, and he went out with a black light to look and that's how he discovered them, Mark. So there you go. So um, there's there's positives in every every little hobby, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> and it is that cross-fertilisation of ideas, isn't it? Um, the fact that um, um, if you're a specialist just looking at things that are known, um, you may not bring the knowledge of of uh, doing up cars and bright lights to the table and um, and then you might not see something. So, But it is just fascinates me that there's still quite significant things out there um, that, um, that are yet to be discovered. And surprisingly, um, Illawarra, the Illawarra is a relatively highly populated area fringed with bush and escarpment. And, and, yeah, there's things to find everywhere, Brendan. If you don't look, you won't find, Mark, as, as usual. Um, that's very important. Um, I, I, just, I just noticed, sorry, I'm off on a little tangent here. Um, I'm looking at the photo of him there, <laughs> and he's um, looking quite pleased with himself there. He's got a, quite an interesting expression on his face. I don't know whether you've got the article up there at the moment. Uh, I, haven't got the, I haven't got his photo. I've got the article up with... Um, the, you know, the blue glowing millipedes. Yes, yes. Um, no, I'll, I'll link to it and um, I'd be interested in what um, put in a little thought bubble above his head there um, with the picture. Um, and, um, I'm sure we could come up with some interesting things. Okay, let's jump into our main news topic, not our main topic this week, Mark. We thought we'd – we haven't done it. A veterinary nurse technician podcast for a while, Mark, focusing on our wonderful techs and nurses, Mark. So I thought we'd do a bit of a tips and tricks about not uh, – we have done one previously about how to get into it, exotic, exotic pet nursing and, and the fun of exotic pet nursing, but I think it's time we, we gave some of our tips about – the species we deal with and how to get not not just part of how to get into exotic pet nursing, but how to how to survive in it, Mark, and and some of the things that tips and traps and and things to do and things not to do, Mark. And, and the one thing that I often find the nurses who are involved with exotic pet nursing or getting into it very early on, uh, they they struggle with identifying the huge range of species that we're dealing with. And it is a bit of a trap, isn't it? Because it's often the first thing that a client will mention to the veterinary nurse or technician who's at reception there, Mark. They'll say, oh, you know, I have a species of X snake or whatever. Do, um, is it right? Um, do I have that particular species or not? And, um, you know, I, it's not infrequent that I struggle with identifying species, let alone um, my, my 
nurses, Mark. And I think my first comment with that is it's exciting dealing with all these different species and I think it's a real privilege of being able to see these animals up close and, and to help heal them. But don't guess, Mark. Um, the last thing you want to do is say, yeah, it's a cute little rabbit you've got there and it's actually a you know, bandicoot or something <laughs> um, and you have no idea what, what the species is. So, so don't get it wrong in front of the client, Mark, because you've lost them at the very start there. So don't be afraid of saying no. You know, I don't know what's going on here, and I do that all the time with my diagnoses these days. And it's amazing how, how, well, the vast majority of clients actually respect you for the fact that you say, "Look, I'm not quite sure what's happening here, but let's start narrowing things down, doing some tests or, or whatever um, with that particular animal." And I think you need to do the same with the species identification mark, um, and we'll we'll um, mention about some of the resources. Um, a little bit later about um, how we can start to get some education and, and learning about the different types of species that you'll be commonly dealing with in your practice. But when you first start as an exotic pet, pet nurse, um, don't panic, um, don't guess is my first sort of tip, Mark. And it's a good tip, Brendan. It's um, definitely the case that uh, clients will... Um, you know, uh, shovel respect on you if you know what sort of animal they've got. Um, they'll, they might not, you know, if you say, I don't know that species, um, then you don't lose that much ground in the respect stakes. But if you misidentify it um, or look like you're trying to make stuff up, um, then, you know, the, the level of respect plummets. So your advice is spot on. And I think just complimenting the client too and saying, oh, wow, fantastic, I haven't seen, you know, X species of snake before and isn't it an amazing animal and you're so privileged to have that and and thanks for letting me have a, have a look at that particular species of, of reptile, mammal, whatever. And um, the clients, you know, respond. They, they love showing off their animals, don't they, um, with the exotic pets and um, if, if, if you give them a compliment, it's a great way, um, a great in, Mark, um, to learn in a bit more about them and, and quiz, the, quiz the client, you know, yeah. say, okay, what, what, you know, you've got X species there, what, you know, what, what's fantastic about that particular species, what's different about that particular species of snake um, compared with other snakes you have at home and, and learn from the clients, Mark. Um, that's you're exactly right, Brennan. They love the clients love um, when that respect is sort of fed back. If you do, um, you know, the client says they have this particular type of animal, and uh, and you say, well, we haven't, uh, you know, I haven't seen that one before, but um, is it different to, you know, is that color morph different um, to the main species? Is that type of bird um, uh, does it behave similar to the related species? Um, asking those questions, first of all, gives you a chance to, um, uh, you know, gather a little bit more information, um, but also it has that effect of um, um, making the client feel good that you're respecting them. Yep, absolutely. And, well, let's jump into, I know I put it further down um, in our little agenda list here, Mark, um, resources for um, vet techs and, and nurses. I, I, perhaps we jump into that now. And the, 
the good news there is most most exotic pr- practices will have lots of books and and um, journals um, in house already. So don't be afraid of, of talking to the boss, talking to your practice manager, and say, um, can, "Can you point me towards a, a really good you know ID book or or general textbook on on mammals and reptiles and birds?" And and they're more than more than happy to to point those out to you. And if if you're lucky enough, they might say, "Okay, take it home." after you, you shift and just make sure I bring it back tomorrow morning um, for all the vets and, and the um, staff to look at um, and start owning up on some of those sorts of things, Mark, and, and, and just flick through those. And, and there are some amazing apps as well, Mark, um, for identifying particular species and, and you're always talking about um, some of the particular apps like the frog watch etc and um, there's um, the, the merlin bird identification and resources there that you can identify birds on just popping a photo into the app um, and also looking at bird sounds um, so there's some amazing simple um, readily accessible and often free apps um, for identifying species there um, because when you first start out you often overwhelmed aren't you with the huge range of species you're dealing with and you can obviously identify the 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 rabbit from a ferret hopefully um but narrowing down things especially with the avian or the reptilian patients and the particular species and subspecies is a it's an ongoing challenge for the rest of your career um and it's it's you know, part of it's getting the numbers under your belt and just seeing them as you will be seeing them in the practice as as you as you're becoming more familiar with with the range of species that are seen in the practice. But you need access to those resources there. And again, don't be afraid of looking things up. You know, I, I think the the moment you think you know most of it and you're not constantly looking at online resources or books or apps, um, then um, you've lost it. You need to retire mark um you know i don't think there's a there's never a day at work when i'm not looking at either an online resource or, or a textbook in front of me for something um you know keep 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 looking now handling skills mark that's a, it's the next one isn't it brendan um taking the time to uh um, become familiar with the safe handling techniques for the species that um that you're dealing with the confidence that comes um from being familiar with uh um the safe way to handle them both safe for you the the, the person handling the the exotic pet and also safe for the the uh, uh, pet itself, um, that engenders even more confidence. And certainly it's one of the things that uh, many clients look uh, to see whether um, this person is particularly comfortable handling that animal, is supporting it the right way, and then they make judgments about it. So make sure that you take the time, um, whether it's uh, continuing education courses. Um, I know that our hospital had in-house um, training for yes. handling um, uh, various species, uh, and um, and of course our professional association, the uh, unusual pets and avian vets special interest group, and the uh, uh, analogs in overseas countries, um, they often have uh, training sessions as well. But making sure you've got the simple things. Um, just how to handle them, uh, where to hold them, where to restrain them to make sure that you don't get bitten 
um, and to make sure that the animal is safe. That's the next one, Brendan. And I think it's extremely important that the only way you're going to be able to handle them correctly is to handle them correctly. So you need to have that induction period, for instance, and that in-house training there because, yes, there's, there's so many exceptions to all these variety of species and the way that you may end up mishandling them and injuring them or even killing them if you, you know, squeeze in that that rat or that mouse and um, because you, it's wriggling and, and you have that natural tendency to just hold it tighter and you end up asphyxiating it, um, that you, you just you just need to do it. You, unfortunately, you need those handling skills and there's no simple way of saying anything apart from the fact that you need those hands-on handling um, and the different ways of handling all the birds and the avians and the mammals, etc., cetera, um, and, and the ways that work and don't work with each individual species. Um, so it's just the you just need to do it and you need to hopefully in your clinic um, they will have those training sessions for you and they will slowly, gradually introduce you to the various techniques of, of correctly and, as you mentioned, safely handling um, each of the species that are seen in your practice. Brendan, I think it's a good thing to, for for those handling things, um, particularly for newbies, I think it's a good thing to just um, force the issue at the practice that you get the opportunity to do it when no clients are around. I think the added pressure of the client sort of hanging over you and, oh, don't touch Fluffy the snake there, you know, he always bites every time someone touches him there. Um, You don't want that background stress or uh, uh, altering factors. Uh, You just want um, a relaxed situation with an animal um, that's going to behave predictably um, without the stress of clients. And um, and so making sure that uh, the situation you're in at work gives you the opportunity to do that I think is critical. Excellent point there, Mark. And again, it, it's um, it also folds back to the clients too, in that they then have greater respect for all of your staff there. And if they see it at a, a um, Im, not immature, but an inexperienced staff member um, struggling to handle their pet. They, you may never see them again at your practice. So, yeah, get get those techniques up and going um, behind the scenes. Um, and if your practice doesn't let you do that or they don't provide that training, then either leave the practice and go to another <laughs> one or um, just say to them, hey, you know, this is part of my, my skill set that I need um, and we are an exotic pet practice um, and we need to be able to be trained in techniques of handling these animals safely and correctly. And I think what follows on from that as well, Mark, is the is is common procedures that are then done by the technicians and, and the nurses, Mark, um, without a vet, and that's all those um, processes, which, again, can be completely different than, than handling a dog or a cat um, for, for procedures such as nail clipping and um, general restraints and examination and weighing the animals, you know, what 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 techniques work and don't work for determining the weight of a snake that's come into the practice, you know, the easiest ways that we tend to provide for, for, for 
the technicians and everybody weighing those animals are to weigh a pillow slip or a, or a little um, calico bag. We have the weight of that bag written on there in indelible pen marks. So we know that that particular bag weighs 75 grams, for instance. We then place the animal in the bag. Um, it's restrained. It's in a little dark environment and we We've zeroed the scales and then we pop the, pop the animal on there. Or if we haven't zeroed the scales, we know that that bag weighs 75 grams, so um, we just subtract it there. So it's all those little tips and techniques for doing simple things where there are those number of those procedures that are done without the veterinarian um, that will be a little bit different. You know, how do we weigh that bird um, when the vet says to you, go and weigh you know, little little Tweety Pie um, and then you hear a scream and the animal, <laughs> the bird's on the top of the ceiling, you know, near the, near the, near the fan there and you're waiting for it to get hit, hit by the fan. So it's teaching them those techniques and learning those techniques um, early on there, Mark. And I think the key thing there uh, that you mentioned, Brendan, was that it's um, – it varies with uh, each individual animal, so there's no hard and fast rule for yes. all the birds. You know, you you it it is an experience thing, and you'll get better and better the more that you do it. So don't be too hard on yourself to start with, but also seek those opportunities, uh, as we said, um, where um, an animal might come in, um, someone's handling it. Uh, who has some experience, ask them to show you why they're holding it that way and to what benefit um, is that part of the body exposed? What procedure is facilitated by that particular manoeuvre? Um, certainly don't be afraid to um, put your hand up and ask those questions because that's the only way that you'll learn. Yeah, there's no dumb questions, Mark. Um, there's only dumb answers, isn't there? So don't be afraid of asking and especially if you're a new a new uh, member of the uh, of the clinic staff um, you're always a little bit shy and reluctant to or I always was and still are some still am sometimes of of of, of asking questions mark um, but your boss will love it um, you, you, your staff members um, colleagues will will enjoy the fact that you're keen to learn um, and that you're asking questions all the time and saying hey why do you handle that bird that way and why why do, do you put that little bird um, in a in a little bag and the next bird that comes in you don't even put in any sort of restraint desire, de, um, device or, or, or method to, to weigh it um, and you'd explain to them, oh, well, that's because it's Mrs. Smith's little bird and um, it's trained to step up onto a finger and we know that it's um, very tame and, and well-trained. And then the next bird that comes in that's the same species, um, we're, we're handling that um, completely different because it's one that hasn't had any training at all. So don't be afraid um, of asking. Don't guess because we're dealing with, you know, hundreds if not thousands of different species there don't assume that you know handling that particular animal will be similar to um a, 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 com a completely different species there mark um and it's going to be a, a career long thing brendan i know um i fancy myself halfway decent at identifying most of the birds and reptiles that we get to see but we've had hybrid lorikeets come in that um you know that you you un never going to be able to um, pick 
specifically without knowing their history. So nev- that, what you said at the beginning, don't be afraid to ask the client. Um, put the bird in a context or the reptile and the breed of rabbit. Uh, oh, I've seen one like that, but it doesn't look exactly the same. And ask the client. Don't be afraid of, uh, don't guess, um, know your limits, um, and, uh, and the client will appreciate you for it. And I think a, a related topic with unusual pets compared with other companion animals is don't guess as far as even the simplest medications with these species because there are so many exceptions and potential toxicities, etc. with with everything from, you know, simple um, parasite treatments to, to topicals to um, the use or abuse of, of creams and ointments and that that you shouldn't use it all in particular species or the use of particular antibiotics that will will kill one species and and be the the mainstay for another species so again don't guess with all of those and that's where things like the exotic animal formularies have been developed um and and there's unfortunately it is with with the veterinarians too that move from general practice towards exotic practices that they they it's not unheard of for them to make mistakes and 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 cause um, damage to to their patients um, when they're assuming that a particular medication that's used commonly um, between other you know dogs and cats etc that that they'll choose it for a another mammal and it will be one that's potentially toxic um so so don't certainly don't guess and the other very important thing is um carry around a calculator or Mm -hmm. um, a calculator app on your phone because we're very very frequently dealing with species that don't weigh much at all and so we're diluting down medications and take a bit of time sit down at your little workstation and make sure that you're getting your decimal points correct, Mark. Oh, I've done it myself, Brendan. It's so easy. I mean, if someone uh, hadn't been just double-checking my doses, at a number of times I think I would have gotten myself into trouble because it is so easy to... Diluting down, yes. Dilution rates, yes. Factor of 10 out or whatever. So, yep, a good tip. So, gee, we've ripped through them pretty quick and we seem like we're pretty rushed with it but i think we were just all the ideas were flowing into our little brains there mark but um i, I think the key is with getting into exotic pet mercy and um, hopefully we're not scaring you about any of that um don't don't be afraid of um asking questions um it's a fantastic area to get into and, and we love and i think we feel extremely privileged to be able to involved in um the exotic pet veterinary industry mark and um one positive is mark for the nurses or technicians that are getting into the area they they they're excited about the whole process because they're seeing you know an amazing species of bird one day and then then a a lizard the next and then a a guinea pig and a rabbit and a and um and then a an axolotl mark and and a frog and and you think gee you step back at the end of the day and you think it's a pretty good day i got to you know see up front and and hopefully help fix some amazing species um and we're privileged to do that um so don't forget to jump onto our website um we have been a little bit 
disjointed this episode because our connection has been dropping out a little bit um, or a lot and I think part of that's due to the Starlink unfortunately Um, and Mark's back with us again um, because he was away from us for or he didn't hear me for a bit so um, apologies for those of you who think we're not quite on our game no we haven't been drinking during this episode Um, No, no more than usual no well Speak for yourself, Mark. Um, and it was recorded during the middle of the day, and um, we will have a full link to the Starlink and a final review of Starlink in, in a couple of weeks, um, depending on how flaky or not it is for recording. It's been a little bit, little bit iffy um, today, but uh, we thank you for subscribing. If you have subscribed and if you haven't please subscribe go to vetgurus.com and we will talk to you all next week hopefully Starlink is working thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time we